it's camaraderie. <laughs> Let's get down to business to defeat Let's get down the Huns. You're so cute. All right. So, listeners. Hello. Hello, and welcome to our new spooky episode in season two. <laughs> Terrifying. <laughs> Um, it will be. I'm going to add some of that creepy music that Andrew made for us. Uh, so should I go first or should you go first? Are you ready for this fucking terrifying information? No, I like I told you, I kind like because you told me what you were doing and I kind of wanted to look it up. And then I read like the first two sentences and I was like, I don't want to oh I don't want to ruin it because I haven't heard about it. So um, I'm ready. This this is probably one of my favorite creepy stories uh, only because every time I hear about it, I hear something new and it's always creepier than the last one. <laughs> so um, okay. so as people know from our Instagrams, uh, I am talking about black eyed creepy mo fucking kids. So these little shit faces obviously have black eyes. <laughs> That's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Look, these these kids are pieces of shit. I'm going to be making fun of them throughout this entire thing because it's the only way I can like deal oh. with how scared I am. Just by the way. <laughs> okay. Okay. All I right. was gonna say because because what did it sound weird? No, it sounds like something that I wouldn't want to piss off. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like them little shits. Yeah, no, they are. You'll see. Okay. Um. So yeah. So they're. The main identifying factor uh, is in the name. They have black eyes, clearly. So people describe them as so black, it's like they have holes for eyes. Pure blackness. They are said to have ashy or pasty white skin with an odd texture that looks unnatural. Also has been described as like plasticky. These kids are typically between the ages of six and 12. Sometimes people say they look a little bit older, like in their teens, so like 12, 16, just depending on which which variety of this fucking terrifying thing <laughs> that you will get <laughs> if it does happen to you. Um, okay. So, yeah. Is so there the, like a certain place where these children are? Or are they just like... Every, you'll, okay, sorry. You'll see. Go ahead. Yeah, you'll see. Sometimes these kids um, wear hoodies, but... Other times, their clothing looks really off. Like, it just doesn't look like they know how to dress or that yeah. their clothes are very outdated, like from the 50s or the 40s or even, like, the 1800s. So they just don't look like they know how to dress for the time. Um, but, like, we did as children. <laughs> yeah. But uh, a, lot of, a lot of the stories talk about these kids having, like, hoodies because it kind of covers their face because what they do is they'll keep their, their head down. So it's like a okay. shit. The other thing is that they talk differently. Like they have sort of a cold monotone sort of way that they talk, like an outdated kind of speech or just completely random. Like it's just nonsensical. Uh, apparently in one encounter, someone asked, are you okay? Can I help you? And they responded with time to eat. Yeah, like bro, fist bump, <laughs> agreed. <laughs> Most of the stories claim that usually there is more than one child with them. Claims are made that when you encounter these children, you get an overwhelming sense of dread. Most claims have been that these children are either outside of your home 
at night or outside of your car at night. Then they will ask you to let them in. And you fucking don't because well, we'll let duh. them in. <laughs> um, what the hell? Yeah. They knock on your door like very slowly. Like usually kids, you know, will when they're trying to knock on the door, they'll just like, you know, like a regular fast knock. But these kids go... And they keep doing it until you open the door. Like they'll, they want your attention. They'll just keep going. Um, That's creepy as fuck. People that have encountered these kids, they say that when they did open the door, they would always have their heads lowered, like purposefully looking down, so you can't see their face. Okay. So, like, yeah. Okay. Imagine that shit when you're home alone, and you hear this. No. Nah. <laughs> oh. Rather not. Warning, people that usually know about these are usually the people that get them. So it's like, as soon as you find out about a black-eyed oh, child... why do that? <laughs> what? Are you joking right now? No, like, I'm not joking. You, you're, li- no. you're fucking around. No, I literally have it in here that it said that when you, like, people usually end up experiencing it once they find out about them. Okay. I don't like you. So, <laughs> if any of these things happen, if you notice any of this weird shit, kids in weird clothing, with hoodies on, their eyes are kind of d- looking down so you can't see them, knocks like that at the door, like, do not let those evil little kiddos in, okay? Just don't. You heard it from me. They've said, it's time to eat. Like, <laughs> that's so I would, if somebody said it was time to eat, I would let them in <laughs> because I feel like it's always time to eat. No, to me, it's like, you're my meal. That's what it comes off as to me. Yeah. Like, Amanda. It comes, it comes off. It, it does. I, I agree. But <laughs> if somebody was just knocking at my door, I'd be like, it's time to eat. I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> Come on in, because it is <laughs> always time to eat. No, yeah, yeah. for real though. Like, is there like a region or like you'll see? I, I, they... I get into that. I get into it. Okay. I'm I'm really I don't like this. Okay. <laughs> to get you to let them in, they'll say things like they're lost. They need to use your phone. Uh, they need to use your bathroom, that they're just waiting for their parents. And of course, like, it's at night and these are kids. So a lot of people just go, oh, they're just a kid. But if you let them in, things happen. (laughs) And I'll get to that as well. If you continue to refuse to let them in, this is when they get aggressive and angry. They'll reveal their face to you, their creepy little demon baby faces, with black eyeball sockets but do they like are these people looking into these children's eyes and yeah well faces and then hearing them say i'm lost no not at first not at first not at first they always try to keep their faces hidden until they until they get your attention and when they get your attention the other thing that people say is that when they encounter them, they have this like overwhelming sense of like fear or like uneasiness 
which only makes okay. it worse like once they show you their show you their face stories have been discredited but there's one in particular okay. that was told by this guy named Brian Bethel in 1996 Brian Bethel was a journalist in Albine Texas and he described that he went out one night in his vehicle and he stopped in a parking lot near a movie theater to write a check Absorbed with what he was doing, he didn't notice two young boys approaching his car. He didn't notice until the older boy tapped on the driver's side of the window and Brian rolled down his window and noted immediately there was a soul-wracking fear. The older brother said that he and his brother wanted to catch a movie, but they had forgotten their money at home. And could he give them a ride? They assured him that it wouldn't take long, that it would be a quick drive, and that they were just two kids and that they didn't have a gun. So that's that fucking weird. Like, that they, by the way, I don't, I have, don't a have a gun. Like of all the weird things to say, like, I, I don't know. Right? It's almost like they don't understand I'm, like social cues or like what humans need to hear to feel safe. They're like, there is right? no gun. I'm, I'm five and I don't have a weapon. So <laughs> take me. Okay. Brian found the assurances unnerving and noted that the last showing of the film they wanted to see had already started and that it would be nearly over by the time he could drive them anywhere and get back. In his recount of the incident, he stated that he, when he broke eye contact with them, his fear became all-encompassing and it wasn't until he broke eye contact with their, that their eyes became completely blacked out. The older boy began to get really frustrated when Brian made an excuse for not giving them a ride and they said they couldn't get into his car unless Brian said it was okay. After that, Brian tore out of the parking lot. He ended up calling his friend Chad Beeves, who had a psychology background, thinking that he was having some kind of like psychotic episode. And Chad was on the phone trying to calm him down, but he had friends over and he said, what do you mean freaky kids? And like certain words that triggered one of his friends. And his friend was like, oh, well, do they have black eyes? And Brian was taken aback because he hadn't even mentioned at all that there were black eyes. Like, he never mentioned that detail. And then this girl said, well, I had a dream about the black-eyed kids and that if he had let them into his car, that he would have died. So to this day, he still stands by that story. And okay, it's, uh, it's kind of weird because even though people still discredit him, because of like creepypasta and like that subreddit no sleep it's one of the first stories recorded and it was before any of those websites existed and then you find out later that the only reason why we even know about these guys is because of first-hand personal experiences people have claimed that stories dating back to the 1950s in other countries so these little baby demon critters have been all around forever not just in the u.s uh, there have been sightings all over, including Europe, Australia, and even South Africa. There have been obviously way more encounters in the U.S., specifically Texas or Midwestern states, because they're rural areas. Okay. Yeah. Um, they, okay. They typically will appear on dark nights in rural areas, but there have been sites outside of cars and houses. So it's not just cars and houses. It can happen in other areas, but those are the most typical ones. Okay, so apparently if you do not let these holes for eyes in, (laughs) 
which you absolutely should fucking not. <laughs> when you do get to the point where you are able to shut the door or turn away, these kids are said to vanish, like just disappear, poof. Okay. But that's not all. If you do happen to survive one of these encounters, uh, there's still a chance that you might wind up getting sick out of nowhere. It's claimed that family members can also get sick. There's a paranormal investigator, David Weatherly. He's interviewed a ton of people that have encountered these plastic pale parasites. He started off very skeptical, but ended up changing his perspective because of how similar each encounter was. He wrote a book called Black Eyed Children. Would you like me to read you some of the encounters? Yeah, I want to I wanna hear a couple, but not anything. You know what, just read a couple and then I'll just... Okay. I don't know. Watch tele- I'll just watch Teletubbies before I go to sleep. Okay, well, the first one I have comes with a little clip. So, a former military man was visiting his parents in East Texas. He's the kind of guy that likes to drive along, looking out at the stars. He's done it a lot. He's got his coffee in his hand. He's, like, driving along these, like, back roads that end up turning into, like, long stretches of road with, like, nothing around, like, no homes or anything. He stops to pee gets out of his car and has this encounter. Jeez, you scared the hell out of me, kid. I want to get in your truck. Do you live around here, kid? Just let me get in your truck. We can go for a ride. Do you need to get home? Do you live around here? Just open the door and tell me to get in. We'll have a short ride. I don't, I don't think so, kid. So it's a very short little like encounter, but if you notice, the guy says, um, obviously that was a reenactment, but the guy, the guy's like, what's going on? Like, what are you doing out here? And then the kid's like, just let me in your truck. Like, we'll go for a short ride. Just open the door and tell me to get in. So they need the permission to be able to get in, if that makes sense. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I actually kind of believe that. Yeah. Like that energy needs to be not like invited in, but also like allowed in. Well, I mean, like you think about witchcraft and like negative energy and how like you, you can tell a negative energy to leave your space. Like you can say it. It does make sense to me in that. Okay. There's another one that he describes. Uh, It's a police officer and this police officer goes out for a call for a domestic disturbance. And while he's out in his car writing up the report, he spots two kids up on a deck outside of a house, like on top. And he's like, okay. So he's like watching them and they're being kind of weird. So he's thinking like maybe they had something to drink or, you know, something strange. So he goes and he checks on them. And also he notes like how late it is. Like it's super late at night. And he's thinking like these kids shouldn't be out here. So when he walked up, he immediately started feeling uneasy. And then they raised their heads and he saw their black eyes. But like, he doesn't immediately think, oh, that's fucking scary as shit. He's just like, oh, maybe they're on crack or something. Like he thinks it's like drug related or something. And then the kids say, they won't let us in. And he's thinking, what? So he goes and he passes the kids and he goes and knocks on the door. And this elderly lady opens the door And after he tells her about the kids, she replies that she does not have any kids. Oh. oh. (laughs) 
So then he's like walking back to check on the kids to see if they're still there and they're gone. They're like not on the, they're nowhere to be found. They're not like anywhere to be found. And he's thinking to himself, like, there's no way they could have gotten down because the only way down was like where he was standing and that it would have made noise. Like they would have had to jump off or something. And also there was no noise of them even like scuffling about or anything. He drove around for like an hour trying to find these kids and he never found them. That that one that one freaks me out the most. I oh, think. if you think that one's scary, get ready for this one. This is the scariest one for me. <laughs> like I read this okay. and I was like, "Holy fucking shit, that's terrifying." Uh, so there was an encounter with this woman. She lived in a rural area. Everybody kind of knew everybody. She was driving with her son, and she went to a store. It was not uncommon for her to leave him in the car for a few minutes while she grabbed something. I would never do this, but I guess to each their own. So yeah, that's just my, that's my opinion. I, I mean, <laughs> it's my opinion, but I apparently- I don't feel like anybody, I just don't feel like anybody should do that, but that's because I also have horrible anxiety and I listen to way too much to crime. So yeah. Same, 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 Agreed. same, same, same. But it wasn't uncommon for this lady to do that. Uh, so she goes into the store, she gets back into the car, she puts her purse in the back without really looking, she drives off. Well, as she's driving, she's, you know, checking around and she glances in the rear view mirror. She sees a boy sitting next to her son with a calm expression and black holes for eyes. Black holes? Holes, yeah. Like, like, like holes. Wait, wait, wait. Are their eyes black as in like like those um the, like the contacts you, you have like for the, the entire eye or is that I don't know. It, are you telling me that they I don't I, know. Mm. Like I said in the beginning, like people describe their eyes to be so black that they look like holes, but then you in other encounters people say that they have like inky black eyes. So it I don't really know. It might be both. But anyways, Whatever. it's an American problem really. So <laughs> And to those that have now heard of them. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, so she stops the car and she gets out. Somehow she manages to get her son out as well. And then she books it back into the store. Uh, she's obviously hysterical and she can't describe what happens. She just keeps saying like, the back of my car, the back of my car. So the clerk goes out and of course, like the back of the car is empty, right? So he's like, what the fuck? Like... This woman's crazy. She's still having a hard time. She can't get, she does not want to get back into the car. So she calls her husband who comes and he ends up taking her car. And then she ends up taking his car. On the way back, the mom asks the son about the creepy ass kid. <laughs> so the son says that this kid came up to the window and asked if he could come into the car. And so the kid opened the door and was like, yeah, he was thinking, fuck yeah, someone to play with. Like, cool <laughs> every child would at that age sure you have black eyes or do you have a gun that's my one question like <laughs> no come on in the kid is like it's time to eat he's like i'm definitely in for some chicken nuggets like <laughs> get in the car <laughs> mom i made a new friend <laughs> Oh my god. He doesn't have a gun, but he does have chicken nuggets. <laughs> okay. Anyways, sorry. Okay. All right. Um that's so, scary though. Yeah. But the most horrible part about this entire story, as if it's not already bad enough, 
is that while the husband is driving, he suddenly gets like an overwhelming, like terrible, disgusting smell before he completely blacks out and gets into a car accident. He survives. For real? Yeah. Okay, so like, even though the husband survives, the son ends up getting severely sick. Like I mentioned before, when you encounter these like fucking demon babies, you end up getting sick or you could end up getting sick. The doctors kept like misdiagnosing him as like having the measles or the flu or appendicitis because his symptoms kept changing and this kept going. And then eventually his parents were like, all right, this is obviously some demonic shit. So we're going to do like a prayer circle. And they kept doing that over, over and over and over again. And eventually he did recover. So yeah, that was, that's that one. Okay. <laughs> There's one I'm more. I'm not happy with you at this moment. but I know, I know, I know. There's this one. And this is the most memorable story for a lot of people that end up like researching this is about an elderly couple in a rural area, of course. One night they hear knocking at the door. The wife opens the door and these kids are standing outside with their heads down and they ask if they can come in. They said, we just need to use your phone. Our parents are on the way. Well, she's an old lady. She doesn't know better and they're kids. So she's like, come on in. She sets off to the kitchen to make the little fuckers hot cocoa like they deserve it. And then when she returns, she sees their eyes and for the first time, she sees that they're black. I don't know if she's scared, but it says in the story that she composes herself when they ask like where the bathroom is. So she like shows them where the bathroom is. And then she goes back and her husband is like holding her face and he's got like blood pouring down his hand. <laughs> I know. He said as soon as he saw their eyes that he started to have a nosebleed and it just wouldn't stop. Suddenly, the electricity was being weird and like flickering on and off. So the women went to find the little demon babies and they were in the middle of the hallway muttering under their breath before finally saying, our parents are here. They ran out of the house randomly. They just like run out of the house. They don't shut the door. And then outside of the window, the women can see two very thin figures like walking up. And then all four of them get into a car and drive away. Eventually... Their lights come back on, but over the next couple weeks, weird shit starts to happen to them. A few of their cats went missing. They found one dead in a pool of blood. Her husband continued to have frequent nosebleeds and was later diagnosed with skin cancer. And that is the last story I have for you. I, I like the not any really much of the part. I like the chicken nuggets. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. The worst part of that entire story was the fact that you were like, yeah, and there's like absolutely no issue as long as you don't know about them. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, you cannot know about them and still encounter them. But it's said that once you know about them, the possibility of you encountering them is higher. Well, that's Or like... if you live in like fucking Texas or rural areas. The fact that you can say that word is I have respect for you. I it's it took me a long to say. It took me a long ass time. I feel like I still say it weird like rural 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 in a rural rural in a rural areas. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's right. a very hard word. 
I tried super hard to jump through that, but I, I took over like a half an hour of like the hour that we have. So on to you, co-host. Our dear Amanda is going to read to us her spooky story, which I have no idea what it is. Yeah, no, I didn't want to tell you. I didn't want to... Actually, what I did, and that's, I've actually been thinking about doing it, and only because I think I found out about like two years ago what it was actually about. And when I read it, I was like, I wish I would have known that when I was a kid because it, this urban legend kind of freaked me out. And it was because of a movie. So it's the movie of Candyman. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. I met the guy that played Candyman. Okay, so the movie Candyman came out. So the original came out in 1992. And I guess uh, a new one came out, like, in 2021. I haven't seen it yet. I don't know if you've seen it. I ha- I have haven't seen, seen I haven't. I have not seen the new one, no. Well, I heard bad reviews, like, really bad reviews, like, crappy reviews. But So I have not seen it, but the 1992 movie was kind of yeah. iconic. Yeah. When it came out, like, everybody knew about it. And, I mean, I was, like, eight when it came out. So it was, like, this huge thing among kids. It was the same thing with, like, Chucky. Like, Chucky freaked me the fuck out. Right, but, like, and Tony Todd's voice in Candyman... Like how you can't have Candyman and not have that fucking voice. Like, like as soon as you hear him, you get scared because he plays a couple characters on Star Trek. And I always can tell who he is because of his voice. Like he plays a, a Klingon. I'm pretty sure it's Worf's brother that he plays. I'm not I'm not 100 percent certain. But anyways, whenever he comes on screen, I'm like, hey, that's Candyman. Did you know that he played Candyman? And Andrew's like, yeah, this is like the 15th time that you've told me that. <laughs> he's Candyman. By the yeah. way, he's Candyman. Yeah. I remember <clears throat> I remember, when it came out, there was so many urban legends going around about it. So it was definitely like a big thing when I grew up. And then I remember that mom was terrified of it. So I hadn't even seen the movie because I was very young. But I do remember that our mother saw it and she was terrified of it because of the voice. Like that was the biggest thing for her. She was just like, his voice is terrifying, which I think is very significant. Actually, when you think about it, because like horror movies, they do like the jump scares, they do all this stuff, but there's sometimes there's these little things or subtle things that will scare a person. And I think the voice wasn't really that much for me. I think the most memorable thing about Candyman later on was the death of the little boy. When you hear about that, like that scared me the most, I think. Wait, wait. But, so hold okay. on. Hold on. I I got to backtrack a little bit. So it's an urban legend because of real events. Okay. Yeah, actually, yes. Oh, so that's shit. what I'm going to tell you. All right. I had no fucking so, clue about ready? this. Actually, it is. Holy. It's it's because of true events. Holy shit. Okay. All right, okay. let's go. So I think that's what scared me the most was that when I was little, I did hear that it was based on a true event. Like, oh, it's like, no, it's not just made up. It's based on a true event. And I think that that scared me the most because I was just like, holy shit. What kind of murder? Like in my little kid head, I was like, there is somebody that comes up behind you if you say some shit. And I remember thinking, okay, so in the film, in the 1992 film, I have not seen the 2021 film. I cannot speak on that yet. I just found that out that there was a new one. I had no time to watch it. So there's an urban myth that revolved around a former slave named Daniel. And I hope I'm saying this right. It's Robitaille. 
Robitaille eventually became a respectable painter and was commissioned to paint a portrait of a white woman named Caroline Sullivan. As far as I remember, I don't remember if Caroline Sullivan is the one that he fell in love with or if because I, as far as I remember from the movie, he had to paint a mom, right? And then he fell in love with the daughter, I think is what it was. Something so like that. So the pair fell in love and Sullivan became pregnant out of wedlock and, you know, due to the times and everything, I mean, you can just imagine. Enraged white mob hacked Daniel's right hand off and smeared it in honey, let a swarm of killer bees sting him to death. Oh my gosh. But he returned as an angry ghost and vowed to kill anyone who would say the name Candyman five times while standing in front of a mirror. He'd appear behind them and then kill them with one stroke of a hook fixed to his hands, the one um. that they, you know, cut off. So I do remember when I was growing up, like standing and like that would scare me. I mean, you had the Bloody Mary thing, but then Candyman came out. So it was like a second terrifying thing of a reason not to look in the mirror. And I remember people even saying like, no, you don't even have to like say his name five times out loud. You have to just think it and he'll come. I was terrified (laughs) to look even in the mirror or be alone in the mirror. I remember so many urban legends going around. I remember people telling me that their uncle had been killed, but you're little and you have no clue and you're hearing all these things. And I just remember thinking, this is fucking terrifying no, and there's... i remember our mom would not speak on it because she was terrified of it so i had nowhere to go with it the fact that it's just terrifying is i mean rightfully so but when you think about the fact that it actually is based on history it's just it's... i can handle certain scary movies but as soon as i know that they're based off of anything like remotely real i'm like this shit fucking happened and it happened to me <laughs> You know what I mean? Well, I mean, when you when you hear about the actual story and why it happened, and or not why, but like how it happened, then I'm like, oh, okay. Like I pieced it together. So the film is actually also based on Clive Barker's 1981 short story, The Forbidden, in which Cat Candyman was actually originally depicted as a white man, and he was dressed in a patchwork outfit. It was set in the slums of Liverpool, England, and the story actually is about a young woman studying graffiti. She just finds herself being stalked and hunted by a deadly figure. So that same year that Barker's story was published, a Cabrini Green housing projects in Chicago, so this is how it all starts, recorded 11 murders and 37 murders by gunfire, all in the span of three months. The combination of Barker's short story and just everything going on in America at the time, because it was a big story. It was also just like, you know, the racist climate. And Mm -hmm. when you hear about like how this story happened and everything, it's it kind of clicks. And that's also the reason why they brought in the story of, you know, a slave. And you get this feeling of it's not just you know, Candyman torturing people, but it's also him being tortured. Yeah. You know I mean, what I mean? Like, well, you, so like, they. Angry souls are only angry because they've been, like, done wrong, you know? Exactly. Exactly. So it all kind of just, like, came together, and that became the vision for the Candyman 1992 movie. What actually sparked the Candyman thing was on April 22. 1987, a mentally ill Chicago woman named Ruthie Mae McCoy dialed 911 begging for help 
claiming that somebody was trying to invade her home coming through the bathroom mirror. So oh. I'm going to tell you. Oh, wait. So that was an actual thing? Like she called? Holy She fuck. called, yeah. Oh my God. So yeah. That's so I'm going to crazy. tell you about Ruthie May. And they called her um, a mentally ill person? Was she actually mentally ill or was she just like... She No, she was mentally ill. Yes, she was mentally ill. Ruthie May... Her family won't really say like what the what she actually had. And honestly, if it's even actually known like what her diagnosis is, nobody has ever said it. But they do say that, you know, she had mental health issues all throughout her youth. And she had to be admitted multiple times. She ended up having a child, but that child had to be taken away from her multiple times because she was admitted. And you know, she was just kind of this lady that would kind of like talk to herself or like just curse people on the street when she was walking by. And yeah, so <clears throat> it's kind of like, it's this thing that it's, it's, it's horribly sad when you think about it because she's this mentally ill person. And then to have something like this happen to her, that must be, I can't even imagine. I mean, for somebody with anxiety, thinking about this kind of stuff is horrible. So Ruthie Mae McCoy was riding in a van that was taking her home from an outpatient psychiatric center at Mount Sinai Hospital. She was sitting next to a woman and she was telling them, someone has threatened my life. The woman was telling her, you know, you should go to the hospital staff, you should tell them. And she was saying, I don't want to get anybody else involved. So that's all she was saying. This was on... April 22nd. Okay. So, like I said, she was kind of paranoid. She did talk to herself. She did curse around people. She obviously was mentally ill. She lived in a Chicago housing authority. So it was known, it was projects, it was known as ABLA, and it was known as a very, very, very bad place. Okay. Like, extremely bad. Okay. She lived in one of the seven 15-story brown Y-shaped towers, and they were called the Grace Abbott Homes. They were also known as the most dangerous buildings in ABLA. They built these homes saying that they were trying to make it more homely, but actually what they did was they built the homes and the resident, the apartments in L-shapes towards each other, and there are actually no streets. So. It's harder for police to get there. Yeah. And it makes it easier for criminals to kind of just move around without being able to be caught. So it was just, it was a place of a lot of crime. Yeah, it sounds like that. Um, there were, and this is how it actually is in the Chicago Reader. This is how it was described. It was the most dangerous building in ABLA claustrophobe in a closet would be more at ease than a paranoid person like McCoy in Albert High Rise. The buildings were dark. They had malfunctioning elevators, pitch black stairwells, yeah. cocaine and PCP addicts on every floor. Fiends were lurking in the shadows and in these towers you're crazy if you're not looking over your shoulder. So that's how they are described. Yeah, no. McCoy lived at the end <laughs> of a corridor on the... Uh, what? I said, yeah, no, I would not. Oh, sorry. That would that would not exactly. be me in there. <laughs> so McCoy lived at the end of a corridor 
on the 11th floor of the building at 1440 W 13th Street. At a quarter to nine on April 22nd, Chicago police got a 911 call from McCoy saying, I'm a resident at 1440 W 13th Street. Some people next door are totally tearing this down, you know, she was saying in a frantic voice. The dispatcher asked, what are you doing, ma'am? And McCoy's response is unintelligible on tape. But apparently the dispatcher kind of understood, okay, I think what she's trying to say is they're trying to tear it down. They're trying to break in. So she, he asked, they want to break in? Yeah, they throwed the cabinet down. The dispatcher says, from where? She says, I'm in the projects. I'm on the other side. You can, you can reach my bathroom. They want to come through my bathroom. The dispatcher says, all right, ma'am, at what address? She says, 1440 W 13th Street, again. Apartment 1109, the elevator's working. So she's already like, just come through the elevator. They, it was kind of known, like these, this, this place was known. Like it's just full of crime, the elevators don't work. He says, 1109, all right, what's your name, ma'am? And she says, Ruth McCoy. The dispatcher says, all right, I'll send you the police. The dispatcher wasn't certain what she had actually been trying to report and what she could have meant by they throwed the cabinet down, they're trying to come through the bathroom. So he placed a phone call to send out a beat cart on its way. He assigned a 12th district car to answer a disturbance with a neighbor complaint. That's pretty much all he knew what to do. He didn't report the call as a break-in attempt. And uh -oh. that might have been the reason why the police came to McCoy's door at 9.02 when another 9-11 call came in concerning that apartment and this one was from a woman who said she had been walking through the hallway and she had heard gunshots gun, sorry gunshots gunshots what's wrong can you say can you like repeat that because it sounded like you said gunshots <laughs> that's what i said i said gunshots no. i was like gunshots i said right away i was like oh shit gunshots Yes. You Sorry. have to take that out. Are you ready? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Already, I was like, I think I said that. Okay. It's okay. Um, okay, so um, now I'm trying to think. Let's yeah. go from gun shards. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so this 911 call was from a woman who said she had been walking through the hallway and heard gunshots from the apartment. At 9.04, another neighbor called and reported gunshots and hollering from 11.09. So two more police cars headed to the scene. Two more on that night that she called 911, right? Four officers apparently arrived at McCoy's door around 10 minutes after 9. They pounded on the door, they announced their presence, they called for her, and they did not get an answer. They asked the dispatcher to call McCoy on her phone. And that conversation is recorded. And so an officer tells the dispatcher, we think somebody may be in there holding someone. So he literally says that. Oh, weird. And yeah, the officers listen to the phone ring and ring. There were two more officers downstairs and they drove over to the project office a block away to get the key to 1109, but the key did not fit her lock. Oh, what? Yeah. So this left the officers kind of debating, what should we do? Should we break into the apartment? Talking with the neighbors didn't help much. Nobody answered across the hall. This is very important. The apartment next door was vacant. 
very important. And the neighbors in the apartment down the hall said no. They hadn't heard or seen a thing. Other neighbors on the floor said an elderly woman lived in 1109, but that she always answers her door. So the police tell the dispatcher again. They say that she always answers her door and they say there's no answer. So I don't know if she may be answered to the wrong person or what. So th these are actually, you know, officers talking this way, standing outside of a door from a woman. And she's, it's been almost an hour or whatever since she's called 911. And they, they still are open, just standing outside. Open the fucking door. It, it, what the fuck? It gets, it gets so much worse. So the officers contacted the project office again, but the janitor said, no, I don't have another key for 1109. And so at 9.48 p.m., the police left McCoy's building and the projects. The following evening, police get a call from Deborah Lastly on the 11th floor. Lastly said McCoy normally stopped by her apartment on her way out of the building every morning and upon her return in the afternoon. So this day, she hadn't seen her and said she had seen police at McCoy's door the night before. She was worried. She decided to call. So, about a half dozen police officers and four or five CHA security guards, so from the project themselves, arrived on the scene. Wait, how Their many? knocks and calls for McCoy went unanswered, and most of the police officers thought they ought to break down the door, but the security guards were wary of it. They discouraged them of it, and one of them told them, hey, you know what? She might sue you if you break down her door. And if you bust down the door, just so that you know, it's none of our business. You are going to have to get somebody out here to secure it. So the police officers just shrugged and they left. What? The next day, Lasley notified the project officers of her concerns. And at 1 p.m., a project official arrived at McCoy's door with a carpenter who drilled the lock. And they found McCoy in the bedroom, lying on her side in a pool of blood, a hand over her chest, one shoe on and one off. Papers and magazines and coins were strewn around her on the floor. And when police later turned McCoy slightly, the faint smell of rotting flesh rose through the apartment. So she'd been dead since the 911 call. Oh my. She'd been shot four times, probably with a gun of medium caliber. The medical examiner who performed the autopsy said that one bullet passed through her left shoulder, another one passed through her left thigh, a third entered the right side of her um, abdomen and pierced the liver and exited the left side of the abdomen. And the fourth and fatal bullet passed through her right upper arm, then entered her chest and severed her pulmonary vein. He listed the cause of death actually as internal bleeding. So it's not sure if she would have been able to survive afterwards. They think that even if the police had gotten to her on time, they probably wouldn't have been able to help her. But when police start to dig deeper, that's when it just actually becomes like a horribly sad story. I mean, it's a terrifying story in and of itself. But when they start to actually kind of figure out, okay, what's going on? So actually, can I can I ask McCoy, like a very hold on one 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 second before you continue? Was McCoy black or white? Black. That's yeah. fucked up. That is so fucked up. Okay, wow. Yeah, because that's what they talk about. They they even say it. You know, there's not much news reporting on it. There was uh, one that kind of reported it. it. Was actually the I think it was the black owned defender. I think it was. There was one. 
There was one newspaper that was black owned and that did do a story on it. But other than that, there wasn't much news about yeah, it. Like because nobody really paid attention. Especially at that time, I don't think that they they did a lot of like coverage for like colored people or black people. Like there was such discrimination and racism towards all of that. So I mean, not that things are fucking different now, but it was probably more so back then. It's horrible when you think about it, I mean, especially when you start to read all of it. I mean, the Chicago Reader, if you really want to look it up, the Chicago Reader has a story on it. And it's like all the details. It's just sad. It just gets more and more depressing. And I don't want to like depress everybody. But it's it's really sad when you look into like her history and everything, because like I said, she was she was mentally ill. She was very mentally ill, but she just two to three months beforehand, she was actually getting help. She was, she was actually doing really good. And I mean, the fact that she, I think what she called the, the moment that she said where she was from, I think that they were just kind of like, it sucks to be you, but you know, and I think the, the, the very flippant reaction from the from the officers, just like, oh, okay, well, nobody's answering. We'll just go. And it's later re- on, it's you know, really they, they talked about it. It's so suspicious. 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 Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. It was a little bit weird that the guards there were like, oh, you shouldn't go in there. You shouldn't go in there. Well, the thing is, is like, as if, no matter what, as if like, I, I don't mean to be mean or anything, but like, oh yeah, they might sue if you break down. Like, I think that there's so many laws that are set into place to make sure that they can get in there. There was a 9-1 call. There were gunshots heard. There were all these things. So I'm just kind of like, I think that that's the weakest fucking excuse ever. They just to didn't me, care. it was literally just being blase about it. Like, yeah. whatever. It yeah. doesn't matter. And leaving you can sit there and say well yeah but they said yeah well what if she sues you that is such bullshit i'm sorry but it is such such bullshit so maybe they were just okay they so just they didn't care in the, at the end of the they day they didn't they didn't a janitor later on is telling about like how how life is there and he's saying like of course it doesn't get much news because there are literal babies thrown off you know the the 10th floor here and there are teenagers who die in the elevator chutes that are just pushed in like it's this is the way of life here and he's even talking about like how you know when he first came there and first became a janitor he'd look around and think like how sad that all of these kids are growing up here that they have to grow up in this environment and he's like but the thing is is he's like i've been here for so long i've seen those kids grow up into teenagers or in, into older children. He's like, and if you see the games that they play with each other, it's not games. It's like hurting each other. They think yeah. that this is the fun thing. They're gang banging already. He's like, you get to the point where it, you don't feel for them anymore in that way. You get desensitized to it. He's like, and I have that and I work here and I've seen all these people. So it's not like that far of a fetch that you know, a police officer would come in and he, and I also understand that they say like, we get tons of prank calls from that side or we go out there and nobody wants to talk. All of a sudden everything's fine. You know, it's yeah. everything. I get that. But when someone does not open a door, when you have gotten a 911 call from someone who's saying they are trying to break in and then you get multiple calls saying we heard gunshots, then 
you can say whatever you want, but in my opinion, if you walk away, that is blatant, just disregard. Like, yeah. okay, whatever, I don't care. Yeah, exactly. Like, they should have just at least, at least opened the door when they went. Yeah. Because exactly. how, like, how, like, fucking disrespectful to her, too, because she literally called looking for help, and then they find her fucking dead days and days later? Two days. It took literally over two days for them to find her. And they they didn't even find her. It was actually, like, the people from the apartments themselves yeah. that actually went in and looked. So, anyways. So, yeah, so, when you start to hear about, like, all the, the criminal things that were going on around there, and then you hear what kind of happened to her, to Ruthie Mae, beforehand. So... Mentally ill residents of the CHA projects, they, they faced, you know, a, a double struggle every single day, looking at where they lived and where they were and the help that they were getting. So McCoy actually was on the verge of escaping the project madness. This is sad. Two months before her death, with the help of a social security field representative and staff members at the Mount Sinai Psychiatric... Psychiatric? That's the one. What the hell? I couldn't get it out. Psychiatric it. center. What the hell? McCoy had gotten approved to receive supplemental security income. So SSI. Federal aid for the physical and mental disabled. This raised her monthly income from 154 that she had been receiving to 340. SSI is paid retroactive to the date of application and McCoy applied in September. So the first check that she was sent dated February 10th was a big one. It was for almost $2,000. So you can imagine being in the projects, McCoy actually intended to use it to get out of the public housing. But in the meantime, she bought a few things, a plain winter coat, a few other clothes, some inexpensive household items. She was very chatty with the neighbors and yeah, she, she probably... spoke to herself. I mean, she was getting better, but people in the projects, everyone that lives around her, they noticed. Yeah. They were very observant, of course, with new things like that. So, And around detectives... then, $2,000 was like, all right. Exactly. Yeah. So detectives think that that is the reason why people were trying to get into her apartment to look for that money. And it's just sad when you think about it because they figured that she had like some money stashed somewhere. She did not. But when you think about the fact that it was probably the money that she wanted to use to get out of the projects is probably what fucking killed her. To me, is just heartbreaking. Yeah, they ended up killing her for something that they could not find. And that's what they, you know, the, the detectives started finding that out as soon as they started asking questions about McCoy. They found out that, you know, she had gotten some money and that was kind of their first thing. They started looking around and at first they could not find any way of entrance. Yeah. Like, nobody had come through the door. Her door was still locked. Well, Everything she even seemed mentioned fine. it. They didn't... What? She mentioned it. Like, she told them where they came from. She said and... they throwed down the cabinet, right? Yeah. Yeah. The thing is, is that, like, nobody yeah. ever really said, no, the cabinet was down when they found her. They just put it together because of the 911 thing. And then later on, that 
the cabinet was down and that was like, you know, how they got in. And the fact of the matter is, is that it was kind of like this known thing out there. With us, it's not that much, but out there, it was absolutely known. Like the, the, the way of entry didn't like startle anyone. It didn't surprise anyone because they had been baking through the apartments, through medicine cabinets for at least a year. This is the, this is the worst thing. Her daughter says that McCoy had reported someone trying to come through her medicine cabinet a year beforehand. She's like, she put in a complaint. Someone tried to come in through her medicine cabinet. You know, the the place across from her, so the place that was like adjacent to her, that had been vacant for a long time. And she had said they are trying to get through, like they had tried to come through. She had put in the complaint. So her daughter brought that up, like after her death, she was like, she tried to, you know, she, she put in a complaint last year and nothing was ever done about it. So the detectives, of course, say they went through it and there was nothing there. The reporters looked through it. Everyone that knew her said, she, well, yeah, yeah, she put in a complaint and there's no complaint to be found. So it was known by everyone that there were all these people getting through cabinets, like even Like the youngest people there knew that it was the way to get through. You could even not only go through to the apartment like next to yours, but also like up and down if you were skinny enough. So everybody knew it was like the way to get through. So yeah, so that's kind of how a true story crime can become like a fucking terrifying urban legends that will scare you forever. What I'm trying to understand is like, did they just, did they start saying like oh well it's probably Candyman. like is that how they started to like kind of bring it into this urban legend because I, right oh. now i'm trying to understand like the connection between the Candyman and uh, mccoy because like it makes it makes sense if people are talking about it like that but like what where's the where's the connection exactly it was like right before the, the movie of clive oh. barker Okay. And, or like right around the time. And it was this big, gigantic thing. And it was also kind of like the, because like I said, it was 11 murders and so many shootings at that apartment place. So you got like all these people talking about it. And then you have the murder of Ruthie McCoy and all these people there, of course, in the projects, they were coming up with, like, they came through the mirror, they came through the mirror. And they did come through the mirror. They they came through the mirror, but it was in a completely different way than all these people were making up. And so it just became this huge, gigantic urban legend, especially with all the murders that were taking place. And then during that time, so then, like, Clive Barker's movie came out, and then they started thinking about this new movie, and then Candyman kind of rolled into one. So it was oh, okay, not I just see. somebody that was coming through a mirror, and not just somebody that was being hunted, or a woman that was being hunted, but it was also about racism. Because yeah. Because no matter how you put it... Oh, yeah. It, it, all it's of about that. racism. Candyman, the original, the I guess, like, the, the history of Candyman, plus, like, McCoy. Like, that is... That it's all about race. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, that was a doozy. And uh, I well. didn't know a lot of that. I thought Candyman was like purely made up. So Yeah, no, I, I had always heard that it was based on a true story. I just didn't it's, know it was, exactly which one. Your story was like paranormal, but also a true crime. So did you love that? 
Yeah. Well, actually, I told Christian, I was like, I don't know if I should do this one. I was like, fuck it, because it was one of the best urban legends when I was a kid. And <laughs> no, I, was I like, love I, it. I want to do it. I love it. Okay, so we got a spooky, scary, funny little story from Tina. Thank you so much for sending this in, Tina. So she replied and she says, laughing my ass off, not scary really, don't know what to make of it. But the other day, I woke up and was laying in bed with my eyes closed and had a sock full on thrown at me? Question mark, question mark, question mark. I was alone and I called my boyfriend in and I asked if it was him. I knew it couldn't have been because I was awake enough that I would have been able to hear him come in. He was the only other person in the house. It was a thick, heavy sock, just one, forcefully thrown at me. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it, it's so funny because it's so random. And like, I've, I've never really had like ghostly encounters, not really, but I did have one and it reminded, this like short story reminded me of it because I have one where I walked into a bathroom and in the front of the mirror, there was a, a razor, like, you know, like you shave with, like floating. Don't talk. I don't want to hear anything about you and razors and bathrooms. <laughs> okay. Another day, Amanda, another time, another story. <laughs> Let's just put a pin Ooh. in that real fast. Anyways. So this razor was like in the mirror. And then as soon as I opened the door and saw it, it fell. It's just random. Um, but yeah, so can we just talk about the fact that this girl got a fucking sock thrown at her face? Like, I'm just I like don't a know. ghost got mad, or maybe, or maybe he's just trying to get her attention. Like maybe he's like knocking other stuff over, or, like moving shit about. Hey, bitch, I'm over here. I find it rude, no matter what. It's sock. But what if it was like a special sock? Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean. How how heavy did it feel? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Could you imagine, like, if it was the ghost's special sock? Like, if they do the thing, <laughs> does it become ectoplasm? Or is it just not there? Like, what? Like, you know? I think it depends on what you believe in. Because manifestation. <laughs> no? Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> no? I think so. Okay. All right. All right. I'm going to read Breeze now. Hers is a little longer. Is that all right? No, of course not. <laughs> I mean, yes, it's all right. Of course it's <laughs> Excuse me. This is 11 10 and I obviously. Is that, a, is that okay? Of course not. Of course it's not okay. I thought you were being funny. Okay. No, all right. I was trying to I was trying to say it's not a problem. Go ahead. <laughs> All right, my my lovely friend Bree, she sent in a story, and she says, finally remembering to send a spooky story. So I was driving home late one night from my friend's house. My neighborhood is one of those where all the mailboxes are at the entrance. So it's it's also very rural. Uh, it's also very rural where I live. So it's very dark. Rural. <laughs> so this night, as I made the usual left turn into my neighborhood through the driver's window, I saw a tall, thin, lightly skinned, fleshy thing standing outside in the middle of the road. I saw it as I made the turn, and as soon as it visibly passed by the bar that connects the window shield, it disappeared. Seeing it startled me, and I immediately felt like I was in danger, like whatever I saw was following my car. 
I had this terrible feeling that it had gotten into my car and was sitting in the passenger seat. So I started saying, in God's name, you are not welcome here, and things like that. But then it started to feel cold next to me, and my first thought was to check my car temperature. The AC wasn't on, and I had been driving for about a half an hour comfortably, so it wasn't the air making it cold. I started saying that it wasn't welcome even louder. Then I felt a cold spot on the outside of my thigh, the part of my thigh closest to the driver's seat, and I immediately broke out in goosebumps. So I started to feel a little panicked because this thing wasn't leaving me alone. I'm sorry, but I am getting shivers. Yeah, poor Brie. I don't like it. You don't like it? <laughs> Me either. I've, I don't know why I always laugh. Maybe it's because like you're, it's like really late where you are and it's like sunny here. So I'm like, ha cool, scary stories. <laughs> I had a, I, I like had a really hard time with the black eyed kids story. So this is probably gonna, anyways, just keep going. I want to hear if it ends well. I mean, she's alive. She sent a message, so we're okay, but keep going. <laughs> okay. Actually, I asked her if she wanted to come on the pod. We're gonna... We're going to discuss that. She's really cool and we should do it. Anyways, it wasn't leaving me alone, but then I happened to remember my friend had given me some black salt. Hell yeah, that's black witch's salt is where it's at. It's where it's at. Fuck yeah, bitches. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I grabbed my purse and found the vial with the black salt. And with my left knee guiding the steering wheel, I poured the salt into my hand. At this point, I started to feel a second cold spot on my leg the outside part of my calf. So I tossed the salt where I felt it on my leg and tossed more salt all over the passenger seat for good measure. <laughs> and I tossed more into the back seat. Immediately, the coldness disappeared and I didn't feel panicked anymore. So I continued home and then I parked in the driveway. I still felt like it was near, so I opened the garage door, took a deep breath, jumped out of the car, and before entering the garage, I tossed more salt along the opening. Once I was Just inside- salt out. Like Oprah, <laughs> you get some salt. You get some salt. <laughs> I understand. I would have. Too. I would have done it. I would have done the same thing. Like frantically, just like if it was a, a small vial, though. I feel really bad because they tend to like be used up really quickly. But anyways, once I was in the garage, I felt safe, and I haven't felt it since. Side note. I haven't vacuumed my car since, so it's still protected with the salt. So that might be why I haven't had a problem since. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Most likely. All right. So, like, here's the thing about Black Witch's salt. And you don't, and you don't ever have to, like, worry about putting your car out, like, in the full moon or the new moon. So, like, <laughs> right? Like, it's just there. It's just going to get, it's going to get energized no matter what. Y'all don't have to worry about it. <laughs> I like I, I think a thorough cleansing of the car would be good. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no like, matter what. Like Brie, if you're listening to this, my suggestion would be to definitely have black salt on hand just the way that you did, and also maybe grab some sage and like smoke cleanse your your car. <laughs> Cause that the fact that you were telling it to leave you alone and it wouldn't says to me that it was a very strong energy and if it was making you uncomfortable whether or not it was good or a bad energy it's still not fair for them to pester you so 
yeah, definitely what you did was perfect. I don't know who gave you that black salt, but they are a G. And uh, yeah. Me, with like a <laughs> tiny vial of black salt knowing me, I would most likely like throw it in one spot and just be like, well, I'm fucked now. Like no. it would just be like one little tiny little thing that I could stand on and that's it. I'd have to like hop on one foot. I only imagine myself like trying to throw it back and then being really dumb and just like throwing it into my eye instead. <laughs> like, you know, like I'm like, like no, I- panic mode, just like, <laughs> You're like, no, I'm not protected and I can't see what's coming at me. <laughs> do you ever get in- God damn do, you ever- it. do you ever get into the shower and you're like washing your hair and like you're like rinsing it and water goes into your eyes and you're trying to get the water away as fast as possible because you're like i know there's a fucking energy in here like watching me i know (laughs) some bitch is gonna start touching me while i have soap and water in my eyes do you have that too is it just me is it just me all right (laughs) no i think everybody does i think it's so funny like like, if we have our eyes open then it won't touch us if we have the blankets over our feet then it won't touch us if you have like the blanket over your shoulder then it won't kill me like it's so stupid it's so dumb if i'm driving and i pay attention to the back seat then nothing can happen if it if it's there it's there bitch like Uh, all right let's use this also as like a learning moment for listeners that are into witchcraft so what black salt is it's a variety of different things right so it's sea salts pink Himalayan salt, plus like black pepper and charcoal. How I make it is also using like the the ashes from saging or the ashes from like my incense. And then I got to kind of mix yeah. it up. Uh, incense but, and saging, obviously. Like, that's a big thing, I think. Yeah, I can make a little diagram for our Instagram and put it up there for people if they're interested in making black witch's salt. But you can also purchase it online. And it's really good to like what Brie did. If you're feeling weird and you want to cleanse the area, that's a perfect way to do it. I also use black salt occasionally when I'm doing a spell. And then I also use it in the front of all of the doors in my house. So like entryways, like I put a little sprinkle in front of entryways. Or if there's like a window that feels not so comfortable, like I'll put some in front of that. I just think it's a little bit more powerful than regular salt because of all the intentions that are in it and that's that's it like making it yourself and making the intention like yeah yeah i feel the same way it's basically like all the leftover shit that you use from like other spells and stuff and it's like i don't know what what that is exactly but it just it makes it really really good and on that note why don't we read Taryn's story. Yeah, so I have a story from Taryn. She's my good friend. I love her to death, and she has like the most gorgeous family. Like, but hi, Taryn. um, Yeah, so she has the most gorgeous family, and she like started. Okay, so it doesn't matter. (laughs) She just has this gorgeous family. You should see her. Her son is just. I'm just like, you have. She has the age range between her kids is just crazy and like they're all so gorgeous and I'm like you get to enjoy like all, all of, of the like, ages all of that like all, all the at stages. the same time it's crazy yeah, yeah. fuck her okay, I mean so um... she's <laughs> she's <laughs> yeah right like no I'm sure mine are just now like be hitting like they're just not not just now but they're hitting puberty and they're just in that like leave me alone don't talk to me awkward stage and my daughter only wants me at night before bedtime and in the morning for cuddles 
and throughout the day she's just like fuck off mom like i don't want anything to do with you at least they want you like my kids are like oh leave me alone (laughs) i can do everything on my own right now i literally don't need you (laughs) like (laughs) you don't want me around like the other day i taught i sat down and i talked to like chloe and jeremy and i was just talking to chloe and she was like making me laugh so hard because she always does but she like walked away and she was like thank you mom i had such a good time tonight and i was like (laughs) Fangirling, <laughs> oh my like gosh. my own daughter said that she had fun. Like, okay, just calm down. Like, don't ask her for an autograph or anything. Like, phone number. Don't like, you know? Don't... Right away, I'm like, do you wanna? <laughs> you you want to take a selfie? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I just <laughs> have to calm myself. At a certain moment, I become the nerd mother, and then that's never good because then I'm... they don't want to hang out with me next week. <laughs> I am always the nerd mother. <laughs> There's, right. there's no end to that okay okay but Whatever. we gotta get we gotta get to Taryn's uh story because exactly yeah so um okay so Taryn sent me a, a a story and it says so when we moved into our first home my son Richie was five we were really young and her husband worked nights and so she would sometimes sleep in the living room on her couch and the boys would sleep upstairs in their room. One night, I woke up to a weird noise, and it was Richie, so five years old, sort of sleepwalking, and he had the front door wide open and was just in a trance staring outside. That's not, not moving, creepy at all. Not, yeah, not moving, not blinking, just staring. I was like, what the fuck, she says. I went to him, and he just sort of snapped out of it and went back upstairs and went to sleep. The next morning, he had no recollection of what happened. I didn't think too much of it. I just thought, okay, well, maybe my child sleepwalks. Like, oh well. This happened on several more occasions, but always when my husband was at work. Each time, I became more and more freaked out. Then one night, it changed. I woke up to him walking towards the fireplace. He was just completely focused on the opening of the fireplace. Not blinking, just a vacant blink stare oh that's so creepy i watched him for yeah i watched him for a few minutes i was he wasn't moving i walked over to him and picked him up and placed his head on my shoulder i turned to go and take him back upstairs but then suddenly he starts crying saying they want me to do it mommy but i don't want to and he just kept repeating those words over (gasps) and over i was in tears and asking him who he was talking about after about two minutes, he snaps out of it, looks at me and says, why are you holding me? Like nothing had happened. To I don't say- know if you see the look <laughs> on my right face. Now, right? I, I got chills too. I hate it because like it's dark up here, bitch. Like, I, I am making the ugliest face I've ever made in my entire life. Right. All of that just, is no. All of that is just all like. Of all of it is like, uh, no, thank you. I'll do without. Um, to say I was flipping the fuck out would be an understatement I I love her so listen she's like I called my Nana right away to come bless my house (laughs) she's like we are from a very Catholic family and once she did he never had the problem again yeah see you fucking cleanse the place and then the spirits are like all right chill 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 that's her like scary story that was an amazing ending also I I have I've always wanted to talk to her but I like psych myself out. 
You know what I mean? I'm always like, she's oh, so I want to mess sweet. with. I'm like, I'm gonna mess. Oh, never mind. She's gonna think I'm weird. Like, you know, like I go, ah, no. She's- <laughs> no, she's so sweet. She probably would love it, but she's like also like kind of like <laughs> okay, like yeah, you're kind of cool too. She's the same way. Like I would message you, but I don't think that I can socially handle it. Handle it, so just never mind. And like that's me with every interaction. Like I love talking to people, but after a certain moment, I'm like, I'm gonna just not look at my messages anymore. If you right? if you message I, me, I, that's fine. I but can't. I'm probably not gonna message you. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, see you in three to five business days, maybe. <laughs> and it's right. Otherwise, yeah. it's practically from China. It's going to take up to two to three weeks to get back. So, yeah, I feel like like these <sighs> moments of us podcasting like this. This is the most interaction I usually get with people. And then after I'm done, I'm like, I'm going to sleep for an hour. Yeah, that's yeah. I have that. I, I'm not going to lie. And I just podcasted with Tawny for a couple hours. I've been podcasting with you and. Now I'm like, okay, I have to go to sleep. And then mostly because of the interaction that I go through tomorrow. Yeah. Well, at so. least you'll have really Anyways, great things to think least... about tonight. Uh, no, no. <laughs> but thank you very much. Hmm. We're not doing any more. Y'all, this is the last spooky, scary episode that we'll be doing at nighttime during my day. Um <laughs> So yeah, from now on, not doing it. I'm doing it during the day. I'm just saying that right now. That's it. No, <laughs> well, no, not really. Because I asked my friend Sol Marie, who has haunted dolls, to come on the podcast, and she said yes. So you're gonna have to deal with that. Okay. 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 Anyway, <laughs> love you guys. No, All right, love you. No, no, for real though. We uh. Yeah, we really... for real though. We gotta go. <laughs> yeah. No, like, like goodbye. Have a good, have a good night. <laughs> Goodbye. Hope you guys have sweet dreams. If you guys want to follow us, it's in the show notes. Peace, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. It's Traumaraudery. Traumaraudery.